let's go ahead and bow in prayer. Lord, we just ask you to bless this time as we look at your scripture. We ask you to guide and show us what you would have us to see. In Jesus' name, amen. Luke chapter 8, starting at verse 22. So Luke chapter 8, verse 22. Now it came to pass on a certain day that he went into a ship with his disciples, and he said unto them, Let us go over to the other side of the lake. And they launched forth. But as they sailed, he fell asleep, and there came down a storm of wind on the lake. And they were filled with water and were in jeopardy. And they came to him and awoke him, saying, Master, Master, we perish. Then he arose and rebuked the wind and the raging of the water, and they ceased, and there was a calm. And he said unto them, Where is your faith? And they were, being afraid, wondered, saying one to another, what manner of man is this that he commands even the winds and the water, and they obey him? And they arrived in the country of the Gadarenes, which was over against Galilee. That's all I'm going to read today, and you're going, well, what can you say about this section? A whole lot. <laughs> uh, I want to start with, you know, this is an interesting picture of Jesus' power. It's also a very interesting picture of when he says something's going to happen, it's going to happen. And I want to bring this up because there are so many people that are following God and thinking, you know, well, once I follow God, everything's going to be good. I, you know, eh, there's not going to be any problems in my life. God's going to tell me to do things and it's just going to happen. Well, it is true that God's going to tell you to do things and it's going to happen. But how much time between the being told what you're doing and the happening is there and how many problems will happen during that period of time? And here we see this very story. Jesus said to the disciples, let's go over to the other side of the lake. In other words, he says, we're going there. We are going to the other side of the lake. And... This is going to be something that you know, we need to understand when Jesus says something, it's going to happen. Now, we look at this, and we've got a whole bunch of parties, but let's look at just a handful of people in the Old Testament that were told to do something and find the problems that they had. Let's start with Noah. Noah was told to build a great big boat, and to preach the gospel, preach the message of salvation by getting on that boat. He spends 120 years building the ark. Which means he's preaching for 120 years. And when it's time to get on that ark, eight people get on him and they're all his family. Can you imagine what that would be like? I'm sharing with you that the world's going to be destroyed. I'm sharing with you that there's going to be a way to save yourself. And I do it for 120 years and nobody responds. And I don't believe that he was told nobody was going to respond. He's out there just pouring his heart saying, God's going to destroy this world. You've got to get on this boat. You've got to get on this boat. And nobody listens. Now, you're going, well, there, there wasn't enough room on that boat. That boat was big enough to put an entire you know, city and then some on it. That, you know, that, that boat was the size of a small aircraft carrier, 
and small aircraft carriers have 30 or 40 planes on them plus the fuel for the planes and the armament for the planes and the parts for the plane and an entire crew of several hundred people that took care of everything. There was room on the ark for everybody who wanted to get on. The only problem was nobody wanted to get on. We look at somebody like Abraham. Abraham was called by God to leave the Ur of the Chaldees and go wander around Canaan. He was told that you're going to be blessed. You're going to be a great nation, Abraham. Abraham leaves the Ur of Chaldees, not perfectly, but we'll, we'll get him out of the Ur of Chaldees and into Canaan. He wanders there for 45 or 46 years and dies with one son and one small piece of property. He was promised something that he did not ever see. God took that one son, Isaac, gave him the same promise. You're going to be a great nation. People who bless you are going to be blessed. You're going to wander around. Everywhere the foot, foot touches is going to be yours. He gets to die with two kids and one piece of property. Jacob, Isaac's son, gets the same promise. You're going to be a great nation. People who bless you are going to be blessed. And all the, you know, all the promise was given to him. Now, he actually gets a few kids. Twelve boys and one daughter. They go down to Egypt with 70 people. And then Jacob dies. They still own one piece of property in Canaan. But now there's 70 of them. When they leave Egypt three generations later, there's over three and a half million of them. God finally gives the blessing and the fulfillment of their promise. Uh, just one more quick one to look at. We look at Moses. Moses was told, go deliver my people at the burning bush. I mean, we know the story of Moses pretty well, but do you realize when Moses first came out and he told Pharaoh, God says, let my people go, do you remember what Pharaoh did to them? He said, you're a bunch of lazy people. We're going to not give you straw anymore and you better not give us any less bricks. Life got more difficult for the Jewish people when Moses said, let my people go. And what did they do? They were really excited, weren't they? They were praising Moses and they were praising God. No, they grumbled and griped and said, you're making our life miserable, Moses. Now, we were praying for God to deliver us and look what happens. We're, life is getting worse. We're going to look at this story and we'll see that life got worse for these guys. They're headed across the, the, the lake. Jesus said, we're going to the other side. So that should have been enough. But life got hard in the process. How many times in our own life has God said, I want you to go do something. And there's going to be reward at the end of that something. And life gets hard. God says, I want you to share the gospel with something, and immediately they start giving you a hard time and, and making life miserable for you. Well, you're nothing but a religious fanatic. You're not better than we are. We know you. <laughs> Sometimes preaching to your family and friends is really hard because they know all of your errors, they know all of your faults, and they're going, uh, I don't know about you. You're, you're, you're telling us all this good stuff, but you know, I, I know who you are. Very hard sometimes to witness to family and friends. 
But so Jesus says, we're going to the other side. So they launched forth and Jesus went to sleep. He goes, we're getting to the other side. No problem. I'm going to go to sleep. And it says a storm came. Now this word for storm is a tumultuous wind and large waves. And it literally says that the boat was filled with water. And the Greek word they used is filled to the top. All right. By sight, they were in trouble. Now, and we think about this. How many of the disciples were fishermen? At least four of them were fishermen and maybe six. We don't know. These guys knew boats. They're looking at this boat and saying, uh, we are in trouble. This boat is filled with water. We, we're being smashed by waves. We're being blown all over by the, by the wind. And by sight, they're saying, we're not going to the other side. Yeah, the master, the Messiah, he said, uh, we're going to the other side, but our boat is going down. How many times in our life do we look at something that we're doing and go on walking by sight and we look at it and say, by sight, my, my life is falling apart. Everything's going wrong in my life. And God, you just couldn't, I must, I must not have heard you right. Because nothing is going right. Going back to Noah, 120 years, nobody responds. Abraham spends his entire life in one, one piece of property and one kid. I wonder how often Noah, uh, uh, Abraham wondered, did I really hear God? Did I really hear him when he said this was all going to happen? Moses, you know, wandering around in the wilderness for 40 years because of the disobedience of the, of the people of, of uh, Israel. And them griping and complaining. They've asked for God to deliver them. They've asked for God to deliver them. And then complain when life gets a little hard. We need to be very careful. When life gets hard is a sign usually that we're following God in the right way. We look at somebody like Joseph. Joseph had the promise that his brothers were going to bow down to him, that his mom and dad were going to bow down to him, and they sold him into slavery at age 17. And then he gets demoted even further and becomes a prisoner on false charges. How would you like to have been Joseph? All right, I've been sold into slavery. That's bad enough. Now I'm a prisoner for a crime I did not commit. He spent 13 years as a slave and a prisoner. How much of that 13 years did he probably wonder? God, I just don't understand. I don't understand what's going on. Then he finally gets promoted age 30 and has another 10 years till his brothers show up. For 23 years, he has this dream and this vision that his brothers are going to bow down to him. And it takes 23 years for them to show up and bow down to him. We have a problem in our lifetime is that we are very short-sighted. Everything that God tells us has to happen yesterday. You know, 
Uh, and God is saying, I have a plan that is not your time. You may just be putting things into motion for the future, as Abraham was. Abraham walked his entire life and put things in motion by having one kid. And that kid had two kids. And again, we go back through six generations before the promise gets fulfilled. We might just be people putting the promise into motion. We may be very fortunate to be the reaping of that, and maybe we're reaping something that somebody else put into motion. We need to really change our mindset to say, God, I am going to follow you and trust you no matter what. Because by sight, the, these guys going, uh, Jesus, wake up. Uh, the boat's full of water. We don't even know how you're sleeping in all that water. We're being bounced around these waves, and we're going to die. We're, we're going to die right here on this lake. And if you know anything about the, the Lake of Galilee, these storms come up in, in an instant. And many sailors and fishermen have lost their lives on the Lake of Galilee because of how fast these storms come down and fill the boats. You know, even today, they're dangerous water. It's dangerous water to, to cross if you're not careful. So when they come and say, hey, uh, Jesus, we're dying, it is a true statement. They are not be speaking in hyperbole. They're looking at our boat is being filled with water. The storm is bouncing us all over the place. And probably looking at Jesus and saying, how in the world can he be asleep? This whole boat is being filled with water and he's up back there, you know, ankle deep in water, knee deep in water. And he's still sleeping. Because he said, we're going to the other side. And he had perfect rest in the fact that they were going to the other side in spite of what they saw. All the scriptures tell us that the just shall live by faith. And faith is, is not what we see. And we need to be really understanding that when we're living by faith, it doesn't matter what's going on in our life. That is God saying, are you going to trust me? Now, I understand it's very hard to trust God when everything by sight is falling apart. And you're going, God, I just don't understand. How many times do people not start wondering, am I truly saved because my whole life has fallen apart? And God is saying, well, did you believe? Yes. Do you believe that you are a sinner? Yes. Did you believe that Jesus died for your sin? Did you ask him to come into your heart? What's the Bible said? He's there. <laughs> doesn't matter what I think. It doesn't matter what I feel. If I have invited him in my life, He's there. The Bible tells us so, and we need to be able to understand his word and accept his word no matter what it says. And it's so easy because all of life falling apart around us makes us wonder. We look by sight and we're going, I don't know. <laughs> God, nothing, nothing seems to be working. I don't understand. You know, can you somehow give me an experience? And we as humans like experiences. You, know, you go to this great big meeting and you're on the top of the world because everything was good. You had great worship. You had good speakers. You were away from work. You were, you were away from all the temptation and you feel you're on, you're on the mountaintop. Yeah, I'm, not a great, you know, I'm not a great place. I, I feel wonderful. I got good emotions. 
and then you come back to work. And all of a sudden, the pressures of this life start hitting you again. And you're going, wow, maybe that mountaintop wasn't what it was cracked up to be. You know, my whole life is falling apart, you know, and that, you know, th those emotions, uh, I don't know what about them, but, you know, they're gone. And now I'm living in another set of emotions that say God isn't with me anymore. This is one of the reasons we need to put our life on what does God say. God says he died for my sins and that he's come into my life. And I hold on to that with, okay, God, you're here. May not understand it, may not agree, may not even fully understand what's going on, but God, you are here. And this is important for us to be able to get to this place where we recognize that God is there. Jesus is so sure that they're going, they're going to get to the side, he's sleeping. And the disciples, by sight, come in and wake him up and say, uh, Hey, Master, uh, we're dying. <laughs> uh, we, need a, we, need, we need another hand here bailing out the water before we go under. Uh, and Jesus awakens. And he tells the wind and the waves to stop. And they stop. <laughs> and I sometimes wonder, you know, how many times has God stepped into the storms of your life when you are panicking and he just tells the storm in your life to stop? And you come just like the disciples. How powerful is my God? The disciples up to this point really did not fully understand who Jesus is. And even after this, they don't understand who he is. But now they realize that this man that they're following has power that they don't even understand. They have watched him heal the sick. They have watched him heal the blind and the lepers. They cast out demons. All right. What are they waiting for? They're waiting for a military leader. <laughs> and so far, he's spending all his time healing people. Now he's out on the sea and he commands nature. On, you know, and they're looking at him, what kind of man is this? He heals people. He commands nature and it, it obeys. On the other side, they're getting excited. Here's our military leader. I mean, if, he, if, the, if nature obeys him, we don't even have to go to battle. He can just open up the ground. He can have an earthquake. He can have a storm and the enemy will be defeated. And that's how they're still thinking. <laughs> this is the great military leader that we're following. He's going he's to cast Rome out of, the, out of our life, and we're going to be the center of all, all of it, just like their, the millennial kingdom will be, and Israel is going to be the center. The capital of the world is going to be here, and we're going to have the Messiah reigning forever, and everything is going to be good, and we're, we're right at his side. We're on the ground floor, so we're going to be his right-hand men. We're going to be the ones that are going to be assigned all over the world to, to rule things. This is their mentality. They're not seeing a Messiah that's coming to die for the sins of the world and bring people into heaven, which is a more important thing to him than military leading of the people. So we have this whole process going on, and they marvel when Jesus reveals his ultimate power over nature. How much power do you see Jesus and God having in your life? You know, and this is quite an interesting thing to think about. 
If I fully understand the power of God, there is nothing in, in this world that can shake my faith. Because I know that he is in control. He is totally powerful and he is totally sovereign. What he desires will come to pass. Now I may not agree with all that he desires. <laughs> you know, I may think that what he's doing is uh, a little hard. Maybe not even very nice. <laughs> and he says, I have a plan. When you think about all the people who have been martyred for Christendom, their names are still known. Their, their sacrifice is still known for the most part. Do you think they enjoyed being martyred? I doubt it highly. People burned at the stake. People scourged. People putting, that they put between two boards and just kept putting weight on it until they were suffocated and died by being pressed between those boards. People who had much worse things done to them we're not even going to talk about at this point in time. You want to read about the inhumane ways that people were treated, read the Fox's Book of Martyrs and see what man has done to torture Christians over the years. And do you think that they enjoyed these things? No, but they trusted God. They trusted God and God exalted their name in front of people. And people got saved because of what they went through. And this is the beautiful thing. God has a plan that we can't always see, that we don't fully understand. Sometimes the plan is not for my blessing, but for others to be blessed. I had an event in my life where I suffered for six months. And I'm going, God, I am in pain and I don't like this. And then somebody came to me a year later and said, I was so inspired by what you went through that it changed my life. I'm going, okay, God, thank you for putting me through pain for six months so that they could be blessed. But you know, God does that to us a lot. He'll put us through suffering so others can see our, our faithfulness in the suffering and bless God and come to God. So we need to be very careful. Do we judge things by what we see? Or are we going to take and have faith that God is in control? How does this change our life? If I'm putting all my faith in God and saying, God, I'm just going to move forward with you no matter what. I'm going to follow you. I'm going to listen to you. I'm going to obey you. Life is a whole lot easier. Poor Abraham wandering for an entire lifetime waiting for his family to grow. Yeah. And toward the end of his life, he complains to God and goes, God, I have no children and all my property is going to go to my servant. And God says, no, it's going to go to your, to your a child that Sarah is going to give birth to. And he's going, I don't see this, God. I'm getting old. Matter of fact, God, Sarah's getting old. <laughs> and, and the way it says that she was well advanced in, in years. <laughs> yeah. She gets to have a child at age 90. You know, before she finally gets this child that was promised to them when she was 40 or 50 years old. And God waits, and he waits, and he waits. And, in, and Abraham's going, you know, Sarah can't even have a child, God. She is past menopause. <laughs> She is so old that she can't even have a child, God. And God says, I'll take care of that. And he did. 
and they end up with a child. What can God do in our life? Anything he wants to do. Anything that he wants to do is what's going to happen. He will put us through good times if he wants. He will put us through hard times if he wants. And all he wants is us to stay focused by faith on him. And this is important. Stay focused by faith on him no matter what seems to be happening. This is one of the reasons that Romans 8.28 is one of my favorite verses. For all things work together for good for those who love God and are called according to his purpose. All things work together for good. And note on there, most people want to add a word to that statement. They want to go, all things work together for my good. That is not what God says. God says, all things work together for good. And that's God's definition of good. And his definition of good does not always match our definition of good. And we need to remember that. Those martyr, those are the people that were martyred, in one sense it was good. They went to heaven. They had a lot of suffering before they went to heaven. But they went to heaven. And God used their martyrdom to raise up his name. What is God calling us to go through so that his name can be raised up? Sometimes life will be good. Sometimes life will be hard. What's the most important for us? We learn to rejoice. In everything give thanks for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus concerning you. Do you spend your time praising God or griping to God? Unfortunately, I'm just like everybody else. There's times when I've griped to God. I go, God, I just don't understand what you're doing. You know, I'm tired of this. Would you please let some good things happen? Generally, I try to praise him more than, more than gripe. But I'm human. I've had the same problems that everybody else has. Sometimes it's just easy to complain. And then Jesus asked the disciples a very interesting question. Where is your faith? I said we were going to the other side. Why are you waking me up with all this panic? And as I say, by sight, they were sinking. It's very hard sometimes to put your faith in what God has told you. When your sight is saying, uh, God went a little insane here. He doesn't, he's, he's walked away from you. He doesn't know what he, what's happening in your life. Don't ever buy into that. Don't let your mind go there. God is in control no matter what we think we see. We see very short-sighted. They saw a boat filling with water and sinking in the middle of the Lake of Galilee. And they panicked because of what they saw. And I just want to say, in, in legitimate, these guys, at least half of them or a third of them are sailors. They know that their boat is sinking. <laughs> By sight, their boat is sinking. All the facts say their boat is sinking. <laughs> Jesus said, we're going to the other side. They're looking and saying, our whole world is falling apart. <laughs> we are going to be dead in just a few more minutes. <laughs> because our boat is sinking. 
And Jesus says, where's your faith? I said we were going to the other side. And you're waking me up in a panic. But even in the midst of this, he did calm the storm. All right, you guys are in a total panic. You failed the test of faith. I'm going to fix the problem. And you know what? God will do that for us. If we fail the test of faith that he's putting us into, he'll calm the test and say, okay, let's get you ready for the next test. Which, by the way, will be the same same test on the same area. You know, he says, God is not like our school system moving you forward to the next level, whether you're ready for it or not. He says, you didn't pass that test. Let's teach you a little more on that material, and we're going to put you through the same test all over again. Not, not the same exact test, but we're going to put you through a test on the same topic until you pass that test. And as a rhetorical question, how many of us in this room have taken the same test five or six times now? You know, and we just keep failing the same test. <laughs> Hopefully, we start learning from these things. When we fail a test, let's learn from it. God says, I want you to learn to love people. What's he going to do when it's time to lo- love people? He's going to put somebody that's hard to love in front of you. That, that just gets on your nerves. Who does things that you don't like. <laughs> Maybe even on purpose. Or appears to be on purpose. And you're going, God, uh, this person is unlovable. I'm not going to love them. And God says, okay, we'll take them out and we'll put somebody that's even harder to love in your path the next time. Are we going to walk by faith or are we trying to walk by sight? This is very important for us to understand. And it's very interesting. They're going... The, the, he chastised them and they're going who is this man that we're following alright we, we thought he was the messiah we thought he was a great military leader we thought he was the king we've been watching him heal people and cast demons out of people now the wind and rain and the storms and the lake obey him who exactly is this man It's not until after the resurrection and into Pentecost that they finally realize who it is that they're following. Do we fully appreciate who we are following? And I think about this a lot. When we first get saved, how much about the gospel do you understand? Usually not a whole lot. I'm a sinner and I need Jesus is about what we know. And we turn our life over to them. We probably don't even recognize that he's God. And if we do, we still don't even understand God. One of the amazing things I have learned over the years is my picture of God changes with each year that passes. How big is God? How powerful is God? How sovereign is God? How merciful and how loving is God? I have gained so much greater appreciation for those things I learned long ago God is all-powerful oh wonderful he's all-powerful omnipotent he's all-powerful what does that mean I can tell you one thing no matter how powerful you think God is you're way too weak way too weak no matter how powerful it doesn't matter how powerful you think he is you know he saved me that's great he's powerful 
He controls all the nations. That's wonderful. He controls all the worlds. He controls all the universes. He can do what he wants. That's pretty big. That's pretty powerful. And it's still too small. We don't ever really understand this whole idea that he controls everything. And the more we understand that he controls everything, the more at peace I can be. What in your life brings you lack of peace? In that area, you do not believe that God is all-powerful. And we all have areas in our life that we don't have a lot of peace in. How big and powerful is your God? You're, you're not at what he really is. Because we're finite to begin with. We can't even begin to fully appreciate infinity. Infinite power. Infinite control over everything. Because we have this inherent, no matter how big a number we can com comprehend, there's still numbers bigger than that. And we just cannot, we put numbers on all, you know, we try to put numbers on infinity. Well, you know, God, I can conceive of this big a number, and God says, oh, you're still way too small. Raise it to the same power that you just gave it, and you're still too small. <laughs> you know, and we need to be able to understand that we will never understand God and his power. We will never understand the vastness of God. We will never understand God's love for people. This is the one that drives me crazy when I think about this love for people. He created man knowing that man was going to fall and that Jesus was going to have to die for man. And he still created man. And I'm going, God, why would you do this? I can't even begin to understand that kind of love and that kind of mercy and that kind of grace. Because I would go, God, I, there's no way I would have ever created man knowing that they were going to do all of this and I was going to... And I would have to die for them. You know, and we'd look at all of this that's going on, and they said, what is this man? Who is this man that has this kind of power? Who are we really following? They're beginning to get a glimpse that they're following more than just a military leader. A glimpse. And they're not even going to understand that for another another three to four years the fullness of who it is they're following and they're they're going to grow just like we do we learn more each year each day each time we're in god's word we learn a little more about god we learn a little more about his omnipresence we learn a little bit more about his sovereignty we learn a little bit more about his love and his mercy and we just keep learning throughout our entire lifetime and and then we start applying, hopefully, what we've learned. And God's going to help us apply what we have learned because he's going to put us into tests to say, oh, you've learned about mercy. You think you know my mercy. Let's put you in a situation where you've got to show mercy to somebody. Do you truly understand mercy? One of the things that you can learn real quick and easy is look at what God is teaching you and get ready for the test. Whatever he's teaching you, eventually you will have a test in it. Or, as my instruct, many of my teachers said, opportunity to, to demonstrate your knowledge. 
He's going to say, this is what I'm telling you. Are you now ready to apply what you have learned? And this is important. God is not teaching us just so that we can get a lot of smart ideas into our heads. He's teaching us so that we can take what we have learned and apply it to life. This story today, when God speaks to you and says something's going to happen, be ready for the test because difficulty is coming. I don't care what character in the Bible you go to look at, you're going to find out that God says something's going to happen and trouble hit them. And that trouble made it hard sometimes to keep following. You look at somebody like Daniel. Daniel had a lot of opportunities, at least three times recorded in the scriptures, where somebody was trying to kill him because he believed in God. And God says, I've got a, I've got a plan for you. And, and three times people try to kill him. He's in school the first time when they can't understand the dream. And they're getting ready to kill him just because the graduates couldn't answer the king's question. And he's going, well, tell the king that God can answer his question, and I'll be there and be there to give him the answer. And then we see Daniel in the lion's den because he prays when it's against the rules to pray. All these events that happened to him, and you're going, God, how is this your plan? How is this your plan? And he says, I'm going to lift it up. I am going to be exalted by these things that happen. And we need to keep this in mind that when Jesus says something's going to happen, when you get the word from the Holy Spirit that something's going to happen, hold on to it. No matter what seems to happen in your life, hold on to the promise he has given you. All right? And this is going to be very hard sometimes because everything can seem to go wrong. I can't tell you how many of my plans have gone wrong. Because I've got these wonderful plans. I'm going to go from A to B, and I'm going to go on a straight line to where I'm going. And God says, well, you can't go the straight line because there's a huge valley in between or a huge cliff that you're going to walk over if you go in a straight line. And I go, I'm in a straight line as we fall over the cliff. And we need to be careful. Listen to God and have faith in what he says and following. Lord, we thank you for this day. We thank you for how much you love and care for us. Help us always to stand in your plan and to walk by faith in spite of what we see, in spite of what happens to us. And we just thank you, God, in Jesus' name. Amen. Listening friends, do you know God? Not just know about him. Today is the day to decide to become his child. God loves you and Jesus came to die for your sins. In Romans 3.23, we are told, For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. We all have sinned. God says the penalty for sin is death. Romans 6.23 says, For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. We sin and deserve death and hell. However, Romans 5.8 says, But God commended his love toward us, that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. God loves you so much, he died for us so that we can be forgiven and have eternal life. How do we do this? Romans 10, 9 through 8 says that if you shall confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you shall be saved. For with the heart man believes unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. Today is that day for you to come to God and truly know him. Do you know him? Do you want to know him? 
Pray in your own words like this, God, I know that I am a sinner and deserve punishment. I believe that Jesus died to pay my sins. Forgive me and help me to turn from my sins and to live for you. If you have asked this of God and truly believe you are God's child and part of, of his family, we encourage you to do these things. First, tell somebody that you are saved. Second, start reading the Bible each day. We recommend starting with Ephesians and then the Gospel of John. Find a good Bible teaching church. If this is your, your day of salvation, you can contact us and we will send you a booklet to get started on your new life and are available to help you with any questions you have about the Bible. You can contact us by email at office at chloridebaptistchurch.com or by mail at Chloride Baptist Church, P.O. Box 65, Chloride, Arizona 86431.